Good morning and welcome to our 10 o'clock worship service. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Whether you're physically present here in our auditorium or you're joining us via YouTube, we're certainly glad to have you with us this morning to worship with us. We're going to go ahead and get started with our service this morning. Our opening prayer this morning will be led by Rick Tubbs. Our congregational singing will be led by Keith Gann. At the appropriate time, Mark will bring us the message of the hour. And then to close out our service, at the end of our service, Grant Addison will lead us in our closing prayer. So at this time, let's enter into our worship service. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful that you've given us another opportunity to come today together to worship you, to sing praises to your name, and to hear your word proclaimed. Father, we pray that we're here for no other purpose than to worship you and to build each other up. Father, we pray that everything that we do would be in accordance with your will and acceptable in your sight. Father, we have such a long list of those who are sick and who have lost loved ones and who are confined to their homes. We pray for, for all of them and for their families and their caretakers as well. Father, we are in the time of year when all kinds of illnesses are going to increase and especially the COVID virus that's been going around and we pray that you'd be with us and let us take care of ourselves and of each other and look to you for guidance. Father, we're, our country's in a time of turmoil right now and we pray that we would understand that our home is somewhere else, that we're only here temporarily. That it's our duty to do the best that we can, but we understand that you're in control, that you'll always be in control. Father, we pray that you'd go with us now as we go through the worship and that we'd enter into it wholeheartedly, that as we leave here that we would feel uplifted and knowing that we've worshipped you and praised you in accordance with your will. Father, we pray that you'd go with us as we depart later on today, that we'd go about our lives in ways that would bring glory to you. Father, we're most thankful that you saw fit to sacrifice your son in our place. He stands in our place and forgives our sins. We're thankful, Father, most of all for that gift. Father, we pray all these things through his name. Amen.
morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here today, so appreciative of the fact that you've been able to come out and be with us. I want to go ahead and get started into our lesson this morning, and what I want to do this morning is I want you to look up here to this wooden paneling and up to the, to the molding that's around that. Now, I'm not asking you to, to look for dust, or I'm not asking you for decorating advice or anything like that. I just sort of want you to see where that is. I want you to think about how tall this is. Now, what I want you to do is drop down with your eyes about six, eight inches or so below the molding, okay? Either side, six or eight inches below the molding. And I want you to get that sort of firmly fixed in your mind where that spot is, okay? Have you done that? All right, here's the second thing that I want you to do. For a little bit different perspective, I want you to look on whichever side you're on, whichever's closest to you, I want you to look to the light trays up here, where the lights are run down all the way from the front to the back. And I want you to look at the bottom of that, and again, drop down about six or eight inches below that, below the light tray, okay? And there, get your mind fixed firmly on that particular spot about where that is, okay? Now, I'm going to refer back to that here in just a little while. But I want you to sort of get in your mind where that spot is, either up here or over to the side, whichever one you want to do, okay? So as we began our lesson this morning, having thought about that uh, little piece of uh, what some might call uh, uh, unnecessary thoughts, but I think it's something that's, that's good for us to do, uh, I, I want you to know that we're going to be talking about a soldier today. There once was a soldier, and this soldier... He probably came, he and his family, or maybe his ancestors, came from the Isle of Crete, the island of Crete, and they migrated down to the southern part of what we would call Palestine here. And there they had some uh, major cities that they had established, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Gaza, and Gath. And those were the major cities where these people lived. Now these people were a thorn in the side of the Israelites for a number of years. Uh, they were there. They persecuted them. They, they did all kinds of things to the, to the children of Israel. Now, as you think about what we're talking about here, you probably know that the soldier that we're referring to today is a man by the name of Goliath. A man by the name of Goliath. And you've heard about him and what I want us to do today is think about this mighty giant, but also I want to consider mighty giants in general this morning. And as we do that, I want us to focus on three main questions. I want us to ask, number one, how big is the problem or was the problem? Number two, I want to ask how substantial is the problem? And number three, I want to ask what do I need to remember when solving the problem. Okay, so we're going to look at those three main points this morning as we study together. Let's begin with that first one. How big was the problem? Now the first thing that most people would notice about Goliath was his size. How big he was. As we think about his size, look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 at verse number 4. The Bible says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
And when we're talking about a cubit, we're talking about a measurement generally from the tip of the finger to the elbow and somewhat standardized in the way that we think about it to around 18 inches. And so if this counting a cubit is 18 inches, we're looking at a man who is 9 feet tall. But not only is he 9 feet tall, he says he is 6 cubits and a span. How long is the span? We don't talk about measuring things in spans, but a span was somewhere around 10 inches in our measurements today. And so basically, we're looking at a man who is about 10 feet tall. A man who is about 10 feet tall. That's a pretty good sized guy, isn't it? Now, do you remember the spot on the wall that I ask you to sort of get firmly fixed in your mind. Whether it's up here, and I'm not talking about looking at it from my perspective, I'm talking about looking at it from your perspective. Whether it's up here or over to the sides, do you remember the spots that I had you to sort of get affixed in your mind? That's about how tall Goliath was. The man would have had a problem walking under a basketball goal, the rim, as he walked around. And so when people looked at Goliath, they would have said, you know, here is a massive, massive man. And when some people have thought about Goliath, they have said that this could be nothing more than a fable, a, a story, a legend. They say it couldn't be true. Nobody could be that big. Nobody could be that tall. Well, let me ask you. Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Robert Wadlaw? Now, you probably didn't know him. This man was born in 1918, February the 22nd of 1918. And he died on July the 15th of 1940. But look at him here on this picture, in these pictures. He was known as the Alton Giant. He was born in Alton, Illinois. He was known as the Alton Giant or the Giant of Illinois. And at his death, he was 8 feet 11 inches tall and still growing. He, he had a, uh, uh, a, a defect. He had a problem, a disease of the pituitary gland. And so his human growth hormone continued to process and he continued to grow. At his death, he weighed 439 pounds. There was a time in his life when he had weighed as much as 491 pounds. But remember, at the age of 22, when he died, he was still growing. But he was 8 feet, 11 inches tall, and we have pictures of him. The picture that you see that's sort of brown in color, and you can probably read underneath it there, this is Robert with his father. And his father was more of an average height of 5 foot 11 inches tall. Just look at him uh, beside his own dad. And then on the other side, we have a picture that he had made when he was on a promotional tour. And everybody is standing there. Those are grown human beings, average-sized human beings. And there's a big clock, and he's standing up there. He's 11 feet almost uh, uh, I mean, uh, eight feet, almost nine feet tall. And, and so he's not a whole lot shorter than Goliath would have been. But it seems that uh, Goliath, 
uh, was more of a mighty man than him. He was somewhat frail. You notice that he's having to walk with a cane. And that's because of some of the problems, the medical problems that he had. But it is possible for people to grow to be those heights. And so it's not just a fable. Uh, as we think about him, we know that he was a real person and we have real photographs of him that we can look at. Now notice in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Remember we're talking about how big the problem was. The Bible says, Then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land <coughs> through which we <coughs> have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come out from the Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Now this is the report of the spies who had gone into the promised land to spy it out. Sometimes we, we, we read that, but maybe if we put it in context of like Goliath and others, what these people would have felt. The Bible says that they gave the report they are of great height, and we seemed as grasshoppers in their sight, and they looked at us as though we're nothing more than grasshoppers. And so we have not only the story of Goliath and talking about him being a giant, but we also have this that we read about in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. What we also need to remember is that Goliath was a member of a family of giants. I don't know if you realize that or not. He was not the only one. Let's go and do some reading in 1 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look together at verses 4 through 8. There the Bible says, And after this there arose war with the Philistines at Gezer. Then Sibachai the Hushathite struck down Siphi, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and the Philistines were subdued. We've got uh, a giant being mentioned here, and a family of giants. Going on, the Bible says, And there was again war with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, struck down Lami, the brother of Goliath, uh, wait a minute, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Not only was Goliath a giant, Goliath's brother was a giant as well. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, the Bible says, who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also was descended from the giants. Going on, and when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, struck him down. These were descended from the giants in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. When we read about this giant problem that Israel had, it's not just one man that David went out and conquered, but it's a whole family, it's a whole group, it's a whole bunch of soldiers who were in the same position as Goliath, who uh, was the same, you know, uh, had a, 
a very similar stature, it would seem, as Goliath had. As we think about Goliath, he wasn't a fable. These other people weren't fables. And it is possible to have a problem that big. He was real, and therefore he was really a problem. He was really a problem for the children of Israel. Now, for the, uh, the problem that we look at and as we, as we continue our study here, the problem the armies of Israel and David encountered seemed larger than life. I mean, have you ever seen someone who would be nine feet tall, much less ten feet tall? We just don't encounter those heights today. We see some basketball players, and they get up to seven feet tall or whatever, you know, and, and man, it's hard for me to imagine that. But as we think about that day and those people, we, we're talking about a problem that seemed larger than life. For the armies of Israel, because the giant was so big, he posed what seemed to be an insurmountable problem. A problem that they couldn't climb over, a problem that they couldn't go around. He was an insurmountable problem. I want you to come back from the battlefield where young David, using a sling and a smooth stone, struck down Goliath, killed this giant. I want, you to, I want you to leave that time. I want you to sort of put that in the back of your mind right now. And I want you to come back to today. I want you to get back into the 21st century. I want you to come back here as we're living in 2021. I want you to come here. And as we do that, during the past year, many people have faced gigantic, watch that word, they have faced gigantic problems, have they not? It may be that even you have, have experienced some gigantic problems in the past year. And you know what? They've carried over into this new year. It didn't, it didn't stop just because we turned the page on the calendar. People still are facing problems, gigantic problems. They have faced, many have faced, the real problem a fear of illness due to a contagious virus. Many people have faced that. Many have faced the very real problem of actually being diagnosed with some deadly disease. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's something else. But they faced in this past year and even in years gone by and maybe even this year already, they have faced that very real problem. Many have faced the real problem of having to weep as a dear loved one is laid to rest in a cemetery. Many have faced that problem. I was listening to Levi Sides this morning on the 6th Avenue uh, uh, broadcast. And you know, if you've ever listened to it, they always do the obituaries. And Levi started that off this morning by saying the two uh, uh, funeral homes here in Jasper have 16 new funeral announcements that were to be made this morning. And so that's 16 families that are standing at the grave, if you will, and laying those aside. That's a real problem that so many in our world face each day. They have the real problem. Many have faced the real problem of losing a job or being furloughed without pay, creating financial difficulties for them and for their families. Many have faced that. 
Many have faced the real problem of people losing a business because they were forced to shut down. Many have faced the real problem of not being able to freely worship in the way that we have in the past. We all understand that, don't we? We're a part of that. I'm standing here looking at you and I can't see your face because it's covered up. And we're trying to keep people separated and we can't shake hands and do all the things that we like to do and that we want to do. And we can't even meet sometimes when we want to out of fear. And so we face these very real, big, gigantic problems. There's the very real problem of family relationships that are descending into chaos and and even families that are being destroyed. We face those problems. People are facing those problems. They're gigantic in nature. There's the, the real problem of depression that people are going through, whether it's from life events that are taking place that they're actually living through, or whether it's from some chemical imbalance in the brain or some other problem from that standpoint. That problem is real. There's the very real problem of ungodliness in our nation and in our world from leaders all the way from the top to the lowest in our world. To the, to the lowest position, there are people who, who are so ungodly that it's almost unimaginable. There's the real problem that we face of unrepented of sin in one's life. And maybe even a refusal to acknowledge that that sin even exists in one's life. Folks, we're talking about how big the problem was, but we came back to reality. How big is the problem today? You see, David and others in the Bible times are not the only ones who faced mighty giants. They're not the only ones. They face the giants, but we face them too. And the problems that many are facing right now in January of 2021 are pretty much Goliath in size. Are they not? How big was the problem? Number two, how substantial is the problem. I want to address it from a little bit different angle when we're talking about how substantial it is. Let's go back and think about Goliath for a minute. Some have described Goliath as a man who regarded neither God nor man. He really, it really didn't make any difference. He was an equal opportunity offender. He offended God. He offended others as well. He really had no regard for man or for God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 at verse number 10. The Bible says, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The implication is, there's no man in the army of Israel that will come out and fight. They're not men. They're, they're sissies, if you will, because they won't come out and fight. He had no regard for them, not even the entire army of Israel. Not only that, but think about what is said in verse 42 of the same chapter. When David went out to fight him, the Bible says, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him 
<coughs> For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Here's this young man, some said maybe around 14 or so years old, and he goes out to fight the giant, and the giant's standing there, and he looks. And you can imagine what he must have thought. He just shook his head. What in the world have they sent out here to fight against me? I'm a soldier. I'm a champion. I've been fighting from the time I was his age up. He disdained him. In addition to that, we think about him as he trusted in his own superior strength. You know, comparing his muscles to what little David had, it probably would have you know, been embarrassing because even when the Bible describes the size of his spear, it, it, it describes a man who was mighty in strength. man who would be able to wield that sword and that spear that he had had to have some muscles in his body. And so he depended upon those. He, he was trusting in his own superior strength. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Not only did he concentrate on his strength, he had his tools. He had his weapons. And he knew that those weapons could outdo any sling that a young man, a young boy, a youth could do. He trusted in those. Look again at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his, we should probably add, false gods. Because we know they were false. And so, the substantial problem that David and the armies of Israel were facing is, is this man who, who didn't regard God, the God of heaven, nor the men who were in the army, or even David who went out to fight him. That's a pretty substantial problem. For the armies of Israel, the problem seemed insurmountable because they had forgotten just how mighty their God really was. They're looking at the Philistine and they're thinking and concentrating on him rather than doing what David did. We'll talk more about it in a minute and concentrating on the God of heaven. As we think about that, the armies of Israel didn't consider that their problem, uh, uh, the armies of Israel didn't consider that their problem was big, but their God was bigger. Concentrate on that. Think about it for a moment. Yes, a giant. But yes, a God who created the giant and everything around him. Their problem was big, but their God was bigger. You see, Goliath's lack of fear of God caused him to do what he was doing. He didn't fear God, so he went out there and he, 
he, he cursed and did all the things that he did and against the army. He, he didn't fear God, so he went out there and did all that he did. And you know what? That had an effect on the Israelite army. They became fearful and panicky because they thought in themselves and not of their God. I can't do it. I can't beat him. He's too big. He's too mighty. He's too powerful. And so what he was doing had an effect on the people of God of that day. And the Israelites lack of faith in God caused them to do what they were doing. Cower. Panic. Good friends, the problems of 2020, the problems of 2021 are problems in part because of the lack of fear of God that so many in our world have today. Politicians, they're fearful of offending sinners, but they're not fearful of offending God. Matter of fact, they're bold to offend Him. And that results in problems in our world today. Just this past week, the Speaker of the House of U.S. US House of Representatives presented a rules package, according to reports regarding the new rules, in an effort to be inclusive to those who don't identify as a specific gender, the rules package strips all mention of gender-specific pronouns such as man, woman, mother, father, son. But add to that, there's incomprehensible, that's a big word, I wanted to use that intentionally, because I have a hard time understanding big words sometimes. And I have a hard time understanding the ignorance of those who wish to follow this ungodliness. The incomprehensible ignorance of those who want to follow the ungodliness that is going on in our world today. There was one congressman who ended a prayer on the opening day of the new Congress with amen and a women. Y'all probably heard that, haven't you? You've seen it, posted, and things like that. Amen, as you know, has nothing to do with gender. It's a word that simply means, so let it be. Emmanuel Cleaver, a United Methodist minister and former mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, is, is beginning his ninth term. And he was the one who did that. And he told the Kansas City Star, he said, his A-woman reference on Sunday was intended to recognize the record number of women serving in the new Congress. Folks, this just goes to show the enormity of the problem when a supposed religious person strays so far from God, from the God of heaven, that he's willing to worship the masses of mankind and probably to be inclusive, I should say, in womankind. How far away from common sense, how far away from learning what is truth and what is right, how much ignorance of God's Word 
and the reality of truth can we endure in our world today? And the people who continue to put these people in power are just like the armies of the Philistines waiting on their champion to prevail. And I would add to that, they need to repent in sackcloth and ashes. But add to that, those, even Christians, who believe their heart is set on protesting and ranting and raving that the government must be stopped, they're a problem as well. Yes, indeed, the government has control over my life and over your life. We must recognize that. But you know what? My God still has control over the government. And don't you ever forget it. That's how mighty my God is. He's the same God that David trusted in when he went and he fought his giant by the name of Goliath. The Bible says in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by the devil. Anybody want to challenge me on that? Have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the devil. No, resists God. They resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will be praised, will be held up as examples. will incur judgment. My God still rules not only the governing authorities, my God still rules me. Folks, I'm fearful that even brothers and sisters in Christ, there may be some who lose their soul because of the enormity of the current problems one reason our current problems are so enormous is because that it, it, we can jeopardize our souls over it. We can. We're talking about how, how big they are. How, how, when we think about the problem, we're talking about how uh, substantial that problem really, really is. We do have substantial problems, but part of it is... Part of the substantiality of it, part of the bigness of it, is because we can lose our soul. We can jeopardize our soul. Whatever that problem is, it's not so enormous that God can't handle it, that God can't control it. It's not. And we need to remember and take a lesson from Michael the archangel. In the book of Jude, verse 9, there's only one chapter but when Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not to presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, 
but said, The Lord rebuke you. Translate that from the New King James Version. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Friends, if the archangel would not even dare speak improperly, improperly against the devil... What makes me think it's allowable to speak improperly against governments instituted by God? But I've got freedom of speech. I want to keep my freedom of speech. I I need to use my freedom of speech. Yes, you have freedom of speech, but you also have freedom to commit adultery or to commit murder of an unborn baby. But that doesn't make either one of them right. They're still sinful in the eyes of God. Good friends, that's how substantial the problem is. That brings me to number three. What do I need to remember when solving the problem? I need to remember that David slays Goliath. I need to remember that. David slays Goliath. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And he did just that. Look at verse 33. Saul said to David, You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. As I look at that, David said, I'm going, I'm going to fight. David knew that he was going to use God's help in order to defend or to fight against Goliath. And then here comes Saul. And folks, it goes without saying, there are people who can be a discouragement to you. Don't you think that was a discouragement or could have been to David when Saul says, hey man, you can't do it. There's no way you're going to win. You're just a little boy and he's a giant. People can be a discouragement. And sometimes, quite often, they are. But look at verse 37. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. I wish I had the faith of David. Don't you? Whether people surround me and discourage me, I wish I had the faith of David. Look at verses 38 and 39 quickly. Then Saul clothed David with his armor... He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I've not tested them. So David put them off. Sometimes we confide in others about issues that we're facing in life. But we need to be careful about receiving the advice that they give us. In David's case, when he confided in Saul that I'm going to fight, Saul had a solution. I'll put some armor on him. I'll, I'll use conventional wisdom that any, anybody who's ever fought a war needs to remember. But you know what? In David's case, Saul's armor was more of a hindrance than a help. 
more of a hindrance than a help. David said, I can't go out there with all of this stuff. David already had his armor. What do you mean he had his armor? Psalm 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to Him. David had his armor already. He had already explained it to Saul. The Lord protected me when all of these things came my way. If the advice of another is not in harmony with Scriptures, I'm begging you, please disregard it. Don't heed it. Don't even listen to it. Far too many pass around ignorance. And it's far too easy to be influenced by it. We've already mentioned the problem of the ignorant following God and ungodliness. Don't get caught up in that. I'm begging you, please don't do it. David won the battle against the giant in his life. But David won it by using the armor of God. And I don't care what you face, faced in 2020 or what you're facing in 2021, and if the Lord allows time to go on to 2030 and 2031, the only way you will ever win is by using the armor of God. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's who I'm coming with. Before we attempt to fight the giants in our lives, we need to surrender our life to God. Truly surrender it to God. And allow Him to be the one who controls our life in what we say, in how we act, in how we live. <coughs> and good friends, we need to lay down our armor, the conventional armor, those things that we trust in to, and take comfort in and, and find to be of strength to us. We need to lay those down find the strength of the Lord. Understand, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you to take control of my life. As we bring our lesson to a close, we must remember that our goal in life is not just to avoid all problems. Our nation is swiftly turning away from God further and further and further. Christianity itself is being jeopardized. But it's not my fight to avoid problems. It's not. Two passages of Scripture. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I've overcome the world. In the world you possibly could. In the world you might. In the world 
I don't know, maybe not. My Lord said in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Here's another one, 2 Timothy 1, or 3, verses 1 through 4. But understand this, that in the last days, and I want you to stop right here for a minute, he's not talking about specific time period when we're, you know, we're, like right now where people try to use this. The last days that he's talking about is the Christian dispensation because what he says and what we're going to read, he goes on and says that they living then were to avoid those people. So it was already happening then. But he says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Why? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Recognize any of those? And when Paul writes to Timothy, who in turn would speak to Christians, and we have that book written for us as well, preserved for us. Remember, we will face difficulty. Though we may not be able to avoid giants, we can face them with the help of God, no matter what they are. I hope God is not on your side. I hope you're on His. If you're not a Christian today, you need to be one. You need to put your Lord on in baptism to live a faithful life. It may be today that you want to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, to be added to Christ, to have the spiritual blessings and the salvation and the eternal glory that we find in Christ. It may be that you want to do that. We want to assist you. It may be that in the past you have become obedient to God, but you've sort of faltered. You need to come back to Him. You quit trusting Him. And you need to renew that trust, renew that faith, renew that commitment to Him. If we can assist you in any way this morning, why don't you come right now as we stand and as we sing. Yeah.
Let us all pray together. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now that we will worship You as You have taught us in Your Bible. And at this point, Father, we pray that we'll purge our minds of the worries and the thoughts of this world and we'll concentrate on one thing, and that's the death of Your Son on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. For this emblem, the unleavened bread, represents His body. We are now thankful. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let us pray for the fruit of the vine. Our Father, we thank You again for the ultimate sacrifice of giving of Your Son that we might have forgiveness of our sins and all the forgiveness of the sins in the world if they will come into Christ and worship through Him. For this fruit of the vine, we are now thankful in Christ's name. Amen. This completes the Lord's Supper. Uh, Let's now pray about our ability to give back. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that we've been able to prosper as much as we have during these times. And Father, we know that we may be having to make adjustments and do things differently uh, during this current climate. But Father, we pray that we'll never forget that we are obligated under Your law to give back, that the church might continue to do good works. And we pray that even if our attendance is limited in other situations beyond our control, we'll still remember that commitment to give an offering to You. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mark, thank you very much for the lesson of the hour. It was an excellent lesson. We appreciate it. It's needed, very much needed, because we do have so much turmoil in Washington, D.C. right now with our government. I'm not going to go over all of the, or list all the names in the bulletin. I'm going to give you two updates, because there's so many names in the bulletin. Uh, You probably, those of you that received text through the week, probably received the text that Dale Nunley is not doing well at all. She's suffering from COVID and they're asking for a prayer for her. So let's remember that family. Remember Dale and Bobby and all of them. And also, Amber Gilliland has been moved into ICU. She's out at Brookwood Baptist, if I remember correctly. And so she's not doing well at all. So that's two updates right there. Keep those in your prayers. And all the others, there are four names I noticed in 
uh, the bulletin this morning of those that have lost loved ones. Let's remember them as well and everyone that's uh, battling COVID right now. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate it. If you tuned in this morning by YouTube, via YouTube, we're grateful to have you with us here at Midway. Remember that at 5 o'clock this afternoon to tune in to YouTube to get the uh, Sunday afternoon lesson and then continue to remember this coming Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. to tune in to YouTube as well to get the lesson uh, that Mark has been bringing to us out of the book of Esther. If you'd like to go ahead and stand at this time, we'll be dismissed in prayer by Grant. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you again for allowing us to come out and worship you. Uh, we pray that we have done so in a manner that's pleasing to you. We thank you so much for uh, the people that are able to be here today. We're mindful of those that, that aren't. And we pray for the sick, the shut-in. We pray for those that have lost loved ones. We pray that you'll just comfort those families uh, in the way that, only way that you can. Uh, be with us as we leave today. Help us to go out into the world and to spread your word and to bring others to you. And thank you so much for Jesus and for sending him to die on the cross. Pray that you will forgive us of our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.